I want some people who are thankful for God's word to celebrate with me. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Do I have any say sowers in the house today? Do I have any say sowers? Because his word is all powerful. His word is all knowing. His word is our breakthrough. His word is creative. Remember from last week in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and everything that was made was made by him and nothing that has been made was made without him. The word is the word logos in John chapter 1. It means that out of chaos comes order. The word can bring order to your chaos. The word can bring life to your lifelessness. I got a word for somebody today. I got a word because God has been burning this word in my spirit all week. And I believe today it's a prophetic word from the Lord today. I think somebody's about to receive a breakthrough they've been looking for. You've been praying over it. You've been hoping for it. Some of you have given up on it and God's about to do something. Y'all ready? Here we are in week two of this series. This is the one. Somebody say this is the one. We began last week by looking at John chapter 1. John chapter 1, John's gospel, where he talked about John the Baptist coming and, and preparing the way of the Lord. And John the Baptist said, this is the one, talking about Jesus being the Messiah. I want to look at, I want to look at the story of Jesus through the eyes of John the Baptist in this series. Today, we're going to stay in that same vein of conversation, but I want to back up in John's story. I want to go back to where John was born, and I want to talk about some of the happenings around his birth. Is that all right today? So in other words, today is pretty much the prequel to last week. Somebody say prequel. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25 today. I'm going to preach to that 12 people, whoever that 12 was. That 12 seems to be excited, like, woo, yeah. So we're going to hang out in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25 today. All right, we're up to 17, praise the Lord. We're getting there, we're getting there, we're getting there. So here is this narrative of Scripture. You haven't been standing up as long as you normally have, so can I ask you to stand a little bit longer? I got eyes on you now. Some of y'all have already just sat down like, I'm sitting now, I don't care what he says. <laughs> Let me take you to a passage of scripture. We're going to read this passage and then we're going to pause and we're going to do some work around this passage. But here's what happens in Luke's gospel. It says in chapter one, let me find chapter one. It says in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But, everybody say but, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they both were very old. Somebody say very old. Hold on a second. Luke in his gospel is giving to us the plot, the main characters, but also the problems. We've got Zechariah, whom is John the Baptist, which you will see his father. Elizabeth, who is John the Baptist's mother. Elizabeth, who is related to Mary, who will later give birth to Jesus. But yet the problem is they are old. She is barren. She's childless. Now 
the age of childbearing has long since passed them by. Somebody say they are very, very old. Let's move on and see what happens, beginning in verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as the priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. He was gripped with fear. Can you imagine? But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take of wine or any other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many to the people Many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Huh. So here is the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, having conversation with Zechariah, telling him that your wife Elizabeth, even though you're old, is going to have a child. That child is a part of the prophetic word that was given hundreds and hundreds of years ago. That child will be a part of the redemptive plan of God. That child is John the Baptist who will be the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy out of Isaiah chapter 40 where he said that there will be a voice coming from the wilderness that will herald and say, make way for the Lord for he is coming. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel. Then it's verses 18 through 25 that give to us our title today. It says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife, well... She's well along in years. It's a nice way to put it. He's probably learned the lesson there. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day that this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home, and after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months she remained in seclusion. For the Lord has done this for me, she said, in these days... He has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. You see, she didn't have a child. So in that culture, that was somewhat disgraceful. But here it says in verse 25, and this is where we get our title from. The Lord has done this for me. Hold on a second. The Lord has done this for me. The Lord has done this for me. Are you ready for the title? God's got this. 
Somebody look at your neighbor and say, God's got this. Look at another neighbor and say, God's got this. Tap somebody and say, God's got this. Look at somebody else and say, did you know God's got this? Now you can be seated. I need you to understand something before we move any further. I believe today is a prophetic word of God. Scott, this. I believe there's people in this place today that God is going to speak into your spirit because you've given up on this, whatever this is. And you've, you've given up on it and it's long since left your mind and it's overwhelmed you years ago. And now you've kind of forgotten God's got this. I believe somebody today is receiving a prophetic word from God. You've been wrapped up in difficulty. God's got this. You've been in relational turmoil. God's got this. You own a business and you feel like you're running the business, but most of the time you feel like the business is running you. God's got this. You're right in the middle of helplessness can i tell you something god's got this you're right in the middle of a lonely season can i tell you something god's got this you're right in the middle of the most difficult thing in your life and nobody else knows about it but it's wearing you out god's got this somebody look at your neighbor and say god's got this y'all gonna have me preaching up in here lord have mercy we had revival in the first service i mean it was a packed house people got up early i was just i mean packed Some of those people get it real early because, you know, they're old. I mean, just, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. God's got this. Here's Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the Bible says they were old. It's verse 18 and 19, though, that is the contrasting event of this story it's the conundrum if you will it's verse 18 that becomes the question in our lives it's verse 19 that becomes the solution it's verse 18 that presents the problem it's verse 19 that gives to us the answer it's verse 18 that identifies the issues the difficulties the plot but it's verse 19 that gives to us the benefit of who God is the problem is, Mike, so many times we live in verse 18 and we never experience the benefits of verse 19 because verse 18 robs from us a dream and therefore we never move into verse 19. We never hold on to what it is that God said that he could do in verse 19 because verse 18 puts up a roadblock and separates us and we give up on something, we quit on something, we forget about something. Verse 18 says this, Zechariah asked the angel, here it is, How? How? Somebody say how. That tends to be Todd where we get wrapped up. It's in that question. How? How? How are we supposed to get by this? How are we supposed to overcome this? How is this supposed to happen? How? For I am old. He begins to list his limitations. How? I'm, I'm old. I'm just old. How? I'm old. The limitations. I am old. And then he begins to talk about his wife's limitations. And she's older. <laughs> She's so, it's like, she's, so, she just, it's, it's, how, how, how is this going to happen? How is this supposed to happen? How? I don't understand this. Here is, he, here is Zechariah saying, how, how, how is this conversation? I want you to visualize this, this conversation between him and Gabriel. And he's saying, how, how? And then he says, I am old. He defines himself, I am old. This is an I am statement. God made an I am statement earlier on in, in the centuries. God said to Moses, I am. 
I am everything that you're not. Evidently, Zechariah, the priest, had forgotten that statement. He's saying, I am old. On the other side, here you have this contrasting statement where, Zech- uh, where Gabriel just looks at Zechariah and, and he says, and I am Gabriel. <laughs> Here's Zechariah giving his identity, his, the definition of who he is. I am old. And she's older. I am old. I am Gabriel. But you haven't heard me. I'm old. And I am Gabriel. I'm old. And my wife is barren. I am Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of the Lord. Oh my goodness. I'm Gabriel and I stand in the presence of the Lord and the Lord's word for you is greater than the limitation that you have placed upon you. Good gosh, Lord have mercy. And the Lord has a word for you and the word is that your wife, Elizabeth, she will give birth to a son and his name will be John. And he is a part of the redemptive plan that God is using to save the world. How? Because I'm old. Here is Zechariah defining the barrenness of the soil in his life. Hang here with me for a moment. Don't miss this. He's defining the barrenness of the soil in his life because of the barrenness of his wife. We couldn't have kids. That season has passed. We're far too old. I need you to hear me out. It's not the soil in your life that is the greatest problem. For some of us, we just don't like the soil that we've been planted in. We don't like it. With the soil that we've been planted in is overwhelming. For some of us, the soil that you've been planted in, in is soil that you cultivated yourself and caused the problem that's caused you to be there. And you don't like it. So for some of you, you need to understand that in all God, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So therefore, if you're in a soil that you don't like, you need to understand that it has to still pass through the hand of God. And when God's hand begins to sweep down and touch that soil it becomes fertile I need you to understand something somebody is about to get a prophetic word up in this place It's not the soil that's the issue. It's not the soil. You see, the soil. You see, what you need to understand is sometimes God will plant us in soil that is greater than us, that is not fertile. Why? So that when the thing that happens that he's doing in your life happens, you cannot take credit for it. He brings out of pain. He brings out of difficulties. He brings out of sorrow. He brings out of problems. These great things that happen. Somebody's about to give birth up in this place because you've been in the barrenness of soil. I need you to understand something. God is about to do something great in your life, but it's not the soil that's the problem. It's your response to the soil that's the problem. What you need to realize that if God did it over there, he can do it again right here. If God said it over there, he can say it again right here. If God can do it right here, he can do it right there. If God can do it right here and right there, he can do it right here in this sanctuary. God can do it right in your house. God can do it in that relationship. God can do it in your school. God can do it in your
your home. God can do it in your neighborhood. God can do it in your finances. Somebody say, God's got this. God's got this. Y'all preaching with me today. When you preach with me, we get out earlier. I'm just saying. Somebody say, God's got this. So here you have something that's happening in this story that probably you haven't even thought about much. You just read over it, and I need to give you context to it. It says in verses 8 and 9, it says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot. Somebody say, by lot. According to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. This is the process that they would use to choose the priest of that day to be involved in the ceremony. They had to do it, kind of throw all the names into a hat, if you will, and select someone by lot to be a part of this process because the priest had multiplied during Jesus' day, and now there was about 20,000 priests. So grab this. Most likely, if you were chosen, it was probably a once-in-a-lifetime event for you. Meaning that this would be the only time that you would be in, the, in this holy place. And it's a once-in-a-lifetime event for you, especially if you were the one who was chosen to burn the incense at the altar because there was only one of all of the priests chosen for that. Once-in-a-lifetime event. In fact, the process was three priests would walk in to where the altar is, and once the incense was beginning to be burned, two of the priests would turn and leave the golden altar and would go outside to where all of the other people were staged in the courtyard. And as soon as those two priests came out, everybody else knew that the one priest was inside burning incense and talking to the Lord. So everybody outside would take a knee and would begin to bow down and would begin to pray because they knew the one priest was inside talking to the, to the Lord about the nation. So two priests, when Zechariah began to burn the incense, turned around, went outside. Everybody outside saw it, and they began to kneel down and began to pray. And they were waiting on Zechariah to come out and report to them what God had said. But when Zechariah came out, he couldn't say anything. <laughs> Making signs and trying to tell people what had happened. And everybody said, he's seen a vision. Something's happened to him, but he couldn't say anything. Can you imagine this is a once-in-a-lifetime event and he cannot even tell anyone what happened to him? But then it says something in verse 13. Go to verse 13. Go to verse 13. It says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid. So, just, just imagine this with me for a moment. Here he is. He's lighting the incense. The other two leave. And when the other two leave, there's this loud commotion while he's praying. He's just sitting there just praying. And he hears a loud commotion. He's thinking he's going to open up his eyes. And one of these priests came back in, not supposed to come back in. Now, this is his time to be in the holy of holies. And he's like, why are they coming back in? He opens up his eyes, and there's an angel standing there. Boo! <laughs> and the Bible says that he was afraid. He was terrified. He was like, what is this? Gabriel, Gabriel said, don't, don't be afraid. He said, don't be afraid. And he said, your prayer has been heard. Hold on a second. Your prayer has been 
heard. Somebody's getting a word right now. Your prayer has been heard. For some of you, you've been praying over something. God wants you to know your prayer has been heard. You've been praying for a kid. Your prayers have been heard. You've been praying for salvation for someone. Your prayers have been heard. You've been praying over a relationship. Your prayers have been heard. You've been praying over a job. Your prayers have been heard. You've been praying over your business. Your prayers have been heard. He said, your prayers have been heard. But it's a little bit of an oxymoron here because most theologians are like, hold on a second. Your prayers have been heard. And then he says, and Elizabeth is going to have a child. Most theologians agree that most likely Zechariah in this moment was not praying about Elizabeth having a child. For two reasons. One, he's old and she's old. That's no longer a prayer. The second reason why most theologians believe he's not praying about having a child is because this is the moment that he's supposed to be praying for a nation. But Gabriel says, your prayers have been heard. But not necessarily for the prayers of, of, of Elizabeth to have a child because that, that, that's a that's a prayer that's long since been prayed and, and he's given up on it a, a long, long time ago. So Zechariah's probably like, probably like what, are, what are you talking about, man? That's a prayer I prayed a long time ago, man. That ship has sailed. Why are you coming here now? My wife is old. She's barren. Did I say I'm old? Why? Listen, I gave up on that. I've been crushed by years of, 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 of discouragement because I didn't have a child, but that's gone. And now you're bringing this up. I, didn't, I prayed about that years ago, not now. I've given up on that, but God hasn't. Somebody needs to hear this. You've given up on things, but God has not. You've forgotten things, but God has not. And Zechariah had to feel like a loser in that culture because in that culture you were graded by whether or not you had a son. Zechariah didn't have a son. So he had to feel like a loser. In our culture today, we all like to win. Anybody in here like to lose? Raise your hand. If you like to lose, just raise your hand. I'm just, no one. No one in here likes to lose. None of us like to lose. We don't like it. We don't like the feeling of losing. In our culture, we're competitive. We like to compete. We like to feel like we're winning when it comes to difficult things. You know what I'm saying? Our, our culture is competitive. That's why we have so many different sporting events, so many venues, so many teams, so many different sports. We're competitive. We like to win. And when you feel like you're losing over something, it begins to drain you. So you can imagine how Zechariah felt. In our culture, we feel horrible and discouraged and depressed if we're not winning competition can i tell you something the night household everything's a competition i'm talking everything is a competition in our house i mean let's just see who can eat the cereal the fastest let's see who can get ready the fastest let's see who can get to the car the fastest Let's see. Listen, and let me tell you, in my house, I never lose. I'm just telling you, I never lose. I just never lose. We play basketball, I never lose. If I have to change the rules, I never lose. 
And if there comes this point in time where I think I'm going to lose, we'll never play that sport, that thing again, ever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> My kids will not beat me. Some of y'all are like, I just cannot believe he'd say that. You know, I just can't believe that. I just don't understand that. I just want to build my kids up and let them beat me. No, not in my house. That's You do you, I'm going to do me. No way. In fact, I've got, a, I've got an old video of my youngest kid who was about to beat me in something. I, I, can, I, can I show it to you? Y'all take a look at this. You'll get a kick out of it. Nope. <laughs> oh my gosh. Nope. <laughs> oh Lord of mercy. Oh. I'm dying here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Some of y'all are I cannot believe he's the pastor. Oh, my gosh. Don't think it. Listen, I know y'all are thinking the same thing. Like, I want to do that, too, you know. That was not me, by the way. <laughs> that was not me. That was not one of my kids, but that was hilarious. I don't care what you say. <laughs> but you can imagine, though, how that kid felt. In fact, you heard him when he ran off. He was grunting. Yeah! <laughs> can you imagine... Kevin, can you imagine how Zechariah felt when Gabriel came in there and said, the Lord has heard your prayer? When all he can think about is his limitation, when all he can think about is his problem, when all he can think about is, is this situation, that situation. And you see, sometimes when our prayers aren't answered, we feel wounded. And when we feel wounded, we go to this wilderness, if you will, and we just kind of give up and we think that dream is, is long gone. I'm old. I'm old. My wife is old. But Gabriel says, your prayers have been heard. I, I need you to understand something. I, let me ask you, are you telling God your needs? Are you telling God your needs? Your prayers have been heard. You see, right in the middle of the loneliness, right in his heart, Gabriel sees the Lord knows what's going on in his heart. He's got this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and he's, like, supposed to be on top of the world because this is, like, what he's been trained for. This is, like, what he's been hoping for. This is, like, but yet inside of his heart, there's still this little thing that, like, he, he's just been, like... I always wanted a son. The Lord has heard. Gabriel says, I'm, when he says I'm old, Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel and I'm in the presence of the Lord. You see, Zechariah felt like he had lost, but Gabriel is about to give him a victory lesson. The victory lesson is this. God brings the victory. 
I, I need you to grab this. God brings the victory. Someone, you need to hear this. God brings the victory. Here is, here is Gabriel standing in Zechariah's midst, and he says, I'm Gabriel. I've got a word for you. And the word is that God has heard your prayer and that your wife is going to give birth to a son, and his name is John the Baptist. Here is Gabriel speaking a word into him. A word, a word, a word. What is a word? A word. Remember John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, was the word and the word was with God and everything that was made was made by that word and everything that was not made oh oh, you got to understand it was his word his word a logos word a word that can take chaos and turn it into order a word that can take lifelessness and turn it into life that's why Jesus said I have come so that you may have life and have that life more abundantly it's a word that will take when you don't have a way it's that word that will make a way it's a word when you feel hopeless it's a word that will give you hope it's a word that when you feel discouraged it's the word that was going to cause you to have encouragement it's the word when you're in the storm of life that will bring about the peace that surpasses all understanding why because God's got this God's got this God's got this so here you need to understand is that God brings us the victory but think about this for a moment because I want you to realize that God is not as concerned with your external victory as he is your internal victory. The internal victory that God is concerned about is your victory over sin, is your victory over insecurity, is your victory over fear. That's the thing that God is concerned about. It's not your external victory. Like right now, some of you may be praying about your favorite football team winning this afternoon. What good is an external victory if on the inside you're still dealing with this battle that is overwhelming you? What good is it to have a once in a lifetime opportunity if on the inside you're still holding on to something that you had a dream and yet that dream didn't come to fruition and you're overwhelmed by a sense of loss and a sense of depression? Listen, what good is it? God's not concerned about the external victories. God's concerned about the internal victories. God's not so concerned about what you've deemed to be your enemy he's concerned about the inner me are you with me Because sometimes things look like it's, it's over with. Sometimes things look like defeat. When they placed Jesus in the tomb, it looked like death had won. But then on the third day, victory rolled in. You, are you with me? God's got this. I need you to see something, though. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. Here's what it says. It says, but thanks be to God. Somebody say, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hang on a second. I I love the articulation that Paul, the apostle, gives to us here. He says, but thanks be to God. Why? Because he gives us. He gives us. Hold on a second. He gives us. Let it resonate with your spirit. He gives us. Everybody say, he gives us. It does not say he gave us. This is an important point to note. He gives to us, meaning that he's still giving to us. 
It's not a one-time event. It doesn't say he gave to us one time a victory. No, it's he gives to us. He's still giving to us moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade. He gives to us the victory through Jesus Christ, the same victory that he gave Moses over his insecurity, the same victory that he gave David over his grief, the same victory that he gave to a nation called Israel when they couldn't figure out which way to go, what to do, how to get there, and they were in the driest wilderness of their lives, but God gave to them victory. God brings the victory. Put the next point up, and I may be jumping around, but the next point, I'll tell you if it's not the next point. That's the next point. Here's the thing about victory. Sometimes we are not the recipients of victory because we're not participants in the victory process. Grab that. Sometimes we're not the recipients of victory because we are not participants in the victory process. In other words, grab this. In other words, you want to have peace, but yet you won't place yourself in a peaceful situation. I got one for you that's even better than that. It's it's this new ideology. It's not necessarily new, but there's a new title for it. And it's, it's happened all post-COVID. It's called quiet quitting. Anybody in here ever heard of it? Quiet quitting. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you've heard of it. All right? Quiet quitting. It's this disconnect from something. It's you pulling away from something emotionally because you don't feel like you're winning and and because you don't feel like you've got the time or because you don't feel like you've got the energy and because you're not winning, it doesn't seem to be worth your time being involved in, so you quietly quit. It's like you go to work and you get there late and you leave early and you disconnect while you're at work. You're watching some movies and all that stuff and you're like, yeah, and you're not producing on the job because you don't feel like you're winning on the job, so you're quietly quitting. Your enthusiasm, your impact, your willingness to be there, your desire for for being there is gone. This ideology has become somewhat of a trend, which has also become somewhat of an instinctive play or role in our lives, in every area of our life. Also our faith. We've quietly quit, we've quietly... We used to be this, but no longer this. We used to be that, but no longer that. We quietly quit. We're no longer giving. We're no longer serving. We're no longer this because I just don't feel like I've got the time. We quietly quit, and we wonder why the victory that God pronounced over our lives is not happening. You've got to be involved in the process. If you want what God has for you, you have to be involved in the process. Some of you go through life, and you're thinking, well, if God's not pouring it out, then I don't want to be a part of it. Sometimes you got to stay in the barren soil long enough for God to pour it out because God is developing you while you're in that soil. Are, are you with me? And it shows up quietly, quitting. You give up on something. You prayed over something that something didn't happen, and therefore you became wounded, and the wound drove you to the wilderness, and you got into the wilderness, and now you're like, I, I don't see my way out. I'm old, and, and, and my wife, she's old, and I, I don't know how in the world is, this is going to happen. And, 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 and you're like, I, 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 and, and I don't know what, what to think about this. And Gabriel's like, I'm Gabriel, and God's got this. 
I'm Gabriel and God's got this. I need somebody in this place to understand something. Some of you are staying down and out in things that God has already given you the ability to come out of. Some of you are staying down in things that God has already said, I want to lift you out. God's got this. You need to understand God's got this. God's got your peace. God's got your help. God's got your hope. God's got your breakthrough. Did I say God's got this? God's got your joy. God's got your tomorrow. God's got your forgiveness. Did I say God's got this? God's got your healing. God's got your breakthrough. When the enemy's coming against you, God's got your anointing in order for you to overcome your enemy. Did I say that God's got this? God's got your resurrection. God's got your ability. God's got your rest. Did I say God's got this? God's got your forgiveness. God's got your healing. God's got your hope. God's got your restoration. Did I say God's got this. God's got this. Somebody get up on your feet and begin to give God praise. Why? Because God's got this. Somebody say, God's got this. God's got this. God's got this. Look at your neighbor and say, God's got this. Tap another neighbor and say, God's got this. Look at somebody else and say, that thing you've been praying for, God's got this. We've read the story and we see that Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And Elizabeth says, God has done this. But John the Baptist is born. Can I show you something? Flip with me. Stay on your feet. Don't rush me, though. Turn to verse 57. I'm going to close with this. Verse 57. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, no, no. He is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Hold on a second. His name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. And all of the neighbors were filled with awe throughout all of the hill country of Judea. People were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it and asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. But go back to verse 62, 63. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And then his mouth was open and his tongue was set free, and he began to praise God. God's got this. God's got this. And pretty much that's what Zechariah was saying. How do I know? Because when he wrote the sign and he held it up and he said, his name is John. Can you imagine this? He held it up, couldn't speak, but he said, his name is John. His name is John. His name is John. 
the name John in the Hebrew means God has been gracious. God's got this. God's got this. God's got this. God's got this. You've been lonely. You feel lonely. God's got this. You've been tired. God's got this. You've been overwhelmed. God's got this. You don't know what to do. God's got this. You've been down and out. God's got this. 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 Somebody shout with me. God's got this.